0: from your home center Baptist here's our call to worship from Joel 2 12 through 13 yet even now declares the Lord return to me with all your heart with fasting with weeping and with mourning and rend your hearts and not your garments return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and he relents over disaster And considering that, let's read and sing together from home the song Sovereign Over Us.
1: Sanctifying us when beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. Your plans are still to prosper, you've not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flow. stand your ways Raining high above the in the fire
2: Being sovereign over us. Um, Before I lead us in prayer um, this morning, or as you're watching along, I just want to say something real quickly about what we're doing here. I know it's common to speak like we are doing church online, or we're going to have church online, but I just want to remind everyone uh, and just be clear that what we're doing up here is not doing church. the church is this holy Spirit constituted gathering of people where we all come together to employ our gifts to give glory to God. So we are the church. And right now the church is not gathered here. the church is scattered. Um, and we can still serve as the church throughout the week. But what we're providing here um, in this recording is just a way to continually remind one another of God's good and unchanging word. So, uh, we're not doing church online per se, uh, but the church is serving with the gifts that the church has. And, and I encourage you to serve uh, the church in any way that you can with the gifts that God has given you in this season where we cannot uh, be together. So if, if you have the gift of prayer, then be on your knees. Uh, Morning and night, I know that should be all of us. If you have uh, the gift of service, find those who are in need and get them the help they need. If you have uh, the gift of teaching, find ways that you can teach others and teach your family uh, and lead them in the teaching of God's word. Uh, whoever serves, let them serve in the strength that God supplies. So let's go to the Lord now in prayer and call on him for his help to be with us today. Heavenly Father, you are holy. You are enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. Father, I think our temptation in this time is to become so focused on the news, or to become so focused on uh, the rapidly increasing uh, numbers of those who are are afflicted, those who are infected with the virus, um, that we fail to trust in you, that we put our trust in other things and and we would spend too much time consumed uh, with news reports and data and statistic analysis and not enough time anchored to your word. And I want to confess that this morning, and I'm sure there are many more of us who could confess that along with me. Father, return our hearts to you. Keep us grounded in the unchanging, perfect word of yours. I pray that this morning it would just be another expression of our confidence in you, our trust in you father i pray that in this unique season where we cannot be gathered that we would maximize this opportunity to have fellowship with you in private i pray that we would maximize this opportunity to serve our neighbors in creative ways i pray that we would maximize this opportunity to lead our families maybe especially for those who are spending much more time with their families than usual and that is a gift From you, I pray that we would not miss this wake-up call that you've given us, an opportunity to to stop and just reflect on where our hearts are and to return them to you. Father, I pray as well that we would not have a spirit of hoarding in this time, a spirit of wanting to get exactly what we need just to survive, but rather that we would have a spirit of generosity, a people ready to share all good things. Father, I want to pray right now for our people, and I want to pray for those people among us who really are homebound, who who cannot get out, and and to get out might be uh, dangerous, those who are most vulnerable, the elderly among us, those who have compromised immune systems. Father, we pray for our shut-ins, for Virginia who is recovering from her ankle surgery, and for Lucy Thompson and Evelyn Thompson as well. We ask that you would meet them in their need, that you would be close to them right now, that they would sense your presence among them. Father, I want to pray for those among us who are recovering from various illnesses or or enduring trying times. So we pray for Arden and Marcile. I pray for the Donaldson uh, family. I pray for uh, Denise and Julia as they continue to to mourn and to grieve and, and to try to move forward. Father, we lift up our sister Rebecca to you, who is uh, stranded in India right now. And Father, I know that you are taking care of her and that she is in a safe place. But, Father, she longs to be back home. And I pray that you would make a way possible for her to return. And in the waiting, she would wait upon you and put her trust in you to, to, to care for her, knowing that you are working for her good and for her glory. And Father, I pray that for all of these, you would... Lift up, lift up the light of your face upon them. I pray that all of these would take refuge in you and that they would be able to rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. That those who love you, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover them with favor as with a shield. Father, I also want to pray this morning for our missionaries who are now seeking to do ministry and navigating circumstances they've never dealt with before. And so I pray that you would give them wisdom as they learn what their new mission looks like in ways that they can creatively minister to those around them. So I pray that the creatures and the most and Michelle and the trims would be a light where they are. A light in Colorado, a light in Ukraine, a light in Japan. Father, would you sustain them in their mission and their ministry? We pray also this morning for all those in the healthcare, in the healthcare um, profession, for nurses, for doctors, for hospital administrators, for for techs, for first responders. Father, I pray that you would give them strength and endurance to be able to care for the weak, to care for the ill. Some of them working very long shifts. We pray that you would renew their strength today. We also pray for grocery store workers and those who are putting themselves in danger every day just by being surrounded by so many people. I pray that this would be a time where they are drawn to you, where they cry out to you like they never have before and ask for your help. Would you keep them healthy? Would you give them endurance? And would you protect them? And Father, I also want to pray for our leaders. I want to pray for President Trump, all the decisions that he has to make, and the lawmakers around him as they seek to do what's best for this country. I pray for the coronavirus task force, for the Surgeon General, for all those experts who have been called upon to make difficult decisions that will affect everyone. I pray for Governor Ricketts. I pray for our mayor. Father, I pray for the leaders of churches all around us and for those churches that in this time that we would be a public witness of your grace and your glory. I pray that we would be a city on a hill. I pray that we would be a bright beacon of hope to those around us. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. Well, if you want to follow along, go ahead and open your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Joel. I'm going to be in a different place this morning, a little diversion from the series on Galatians in this time that we are not able to gather. I plan to pick that back up shortly after we are able to gather again, but I thought I would give attention to maybe some parts of Scripture that we are less likely to read um, on a regular basis, so I wanted to turn to a minor prophet, which I believe has a message for us this morning that is very timely in light of our circumstances. And uh, we're going to be in Joel chapter 1 and 2. I'm not going to read all of that uh, before we start. Uh, we'll just kind of look at it as we go along. Chris just read uh, earlier from Joel chapter 2, verse 12, and I want to read that again because I think it's the central message. It's kind of the thesis of the book of Joel, and it's the message that we really want to take away uh, particularly these next 2 weeks as we look at Joel. So let me read from verses 12 through 14, chapter 2. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts And not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. A grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. I think most of us uh, by now are probably far too familiar than they would like to be with the phrase, flatten the curve. I think we've probably all heard that several times this past week, flatten the curve. The idea is that this COVID-19 is spreading at an exponential rate. And as one article laid it out gravely, I think this was on Tuesday, if the number of cases were to continue to double every three days, there would be about 100 million cases in the United States by May. The author then eased some of the fear by stating, Now that is math and not prophecy. Well, I'm sure that many of us over this past week have had our fill of numbers, of growth curves, statistical analysis, if you've been paying attention to the news. And while all of these can surely be helpful for us as we seek to understand the gravity, Of this pandemic and as we seek to mitigate its effects on our people, what the math cannot do, what the numbers cannot do is solve the problem of our heart. Math will never be able to solve the problem of our heart. So this morning, I want us to turn not to math, not to numbers, but to prophecy, because I believe we need the certain prophetic word of God. A word that God promises will never return void, will never return empty. The book of Joel is very short. It's only three chapters, just a couple of pages in your Bible, but it is packed. It is jam packed. The book of Joel is a story of pestilence that is prefiguring God's future judgments. Pestilence prefiguring God's future judgments. And it's a call for repentance. That leads to restoration, a call for repentance that leads to restoration. It's a call to pay attention to what God is doing in seasons of trial and a call to return our hearts to him. This is the book of Joel. All of us, I believe, can so easily become consumed with measures taken to flatten the curve or we become so frantic as we watch the curve trending upward that our hearts actually begin to follow the curve of the crisis but in this hour what the church needs most is to be reminded of the permanence of the promises of an unchanging god to flatten our curve of anxiety and to stabilize our hearts so beginning In verse 2, we see the prophet instructing all the inhabitants of the land to pay very careful attention to what is going on and to tell their children of it and to let their children tell their children and their children to another generation, to tell their children the story of this great calamity which had come upon them. What was that calamity? If We look in verse 4. What the cutting locust left the swarming locust had eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust had eaten. What the hopping locust left, the destroying locust had eaten. In other words, nothing was left. This is the story of a horrific locust invasion that had laid waste to the land and brought complete desolation. God's people were reeling They were stripped down till they had absolutely nothing left. And not only were they lacking food, not only were they lacking wine, but this also meant because they had no food and wine that they could no longer offer to God the required grain and drink offerings. We see that in verse 13. In other words, they were restricted in how they were able to corporately worship. Does that sound familiar? We are restricted today in how we can corporately worship. Both field and vine had dried up and shriveled up. And so if you want to talk about desperation and talk about having it bad, I think it's, it's probably very difficult for most of us to imagine the devastation that a locust invasion could cause because that's not something uh, that particularly happens to us in our geography uh, in this time. But They actually still occur to this day, and in fact, there is one of the worst in decades that is going on right now in East Africa. And this was an article I read from just a couple, uh, that was written just a couple weeks ago about one of these deadly locust invasions. Desert locusts are the most destructive of all locust species, known for their speedy growth and enormous appetites. A swarm containing an estimated 200 billion locusts was recorded in Kenya. And each insect can eat its own weight in food. That equates to about as much as 84 million people a day. That's according to a UN briefing. The insects have already destroyed hundreds and thousands of acres of crops in East Africa. And the UN is calling for international help to quell the crisis. They fear the numbers could grow 500 times by June and reach 30 different countries. This is happening right now in East Africa and spreading. Worst one in decades, according to this report. Now imagine what it must have been like then for a very similar, if not far greater, locust, locust invasion in a time with far fewer technologies and international uh, collaboration to help mitigate the mass destruction and to provide relief. Let me just read some of the description of how severe this Locust invasion we read about in Joel chapter 1 was. Look in verse 10. The fields are destroyed. The ground mourns because the grain is destroyed. The wine dries up. The oil languishes. Then over to verse 17. The seed shrivels under the clods. The storehouses are desolate. The granaries are torn down because the grain has dried up. Talk about empty shelves at the grocery stores, right? How the beasts groan, even the animals are starved. The herds of cattle are perplexed because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. All of their economic stability devastated through this invasion. Complete and utter desolation. So lest you are tempted to think that our current circumstances, and I don't want to minimize for those who truly are afflicted today or who are going without or who are in need, I don't want to minimize that, but lest we are tempted who still have much today to think that our current circumstances are bad on account of empty toilet paper shelves at Hy-Vee or on account of the canceling of March Madness, be thankful this morning for what you have in your pantry. And if your pantry is empty, please, I want you to give us a call because we will get you the help that you need. But just because we are okay for now, that doesn't mean that our current level of creature comfort is guaranteed to be our future. I want you to know that if you are not experiencing suffering right now, know that at some point all of us will surely endure trials where we are brought to a place of desperation. Many of you have already been through trials like that, where you have found yourself face down on the floor, crying out to God for help. We are not immune to such trials. And these are trials which help bring into focus for us just what it is that we are holding on to most, where we are placing our hope. And when you read chapter two of Joel, you see that even still, there remains a future day of the Lord, a future day of judgment. In chapter two, verse 11, the prophet says, "For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. That's not awesome in a good way. The Lord, day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? It is terrifying. We read in Romans 8:19 that ever since the fall, the creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth. And I like to think of these as contractions, these kind of escalating pains with increased frequency as we approach the day of the Lord's return. We should expect more of things like these. We need to be prepared. In fact, I think it's very difficult in Joel, if you were just to read through Joel, the whole book, to discern which parts of Joel chapter 2 speak more of an immediate future judgment of God and future invasion of an army for the discipline of his people, or whether it's that ultimate final day of judgment, like what seems to be suggested in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 2. But my aim this morning and over the next couple weeks is not to evoke further fear and panic in you. But instead... For us to take advantage of this opportunity, this opportunity from God to turn to him and to seek refuge in the proper place. To hope in God, to incline your ear to hear his word, to fix your eyes on all that he is doing among you, to stir up your hands to carry out his work that he has prepared for you in this time. To set your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And to open your hearts to receive his blessing. So as we consider this text this morning and next week, I want you to see four very direct calls to action in times of calamity. Four very clear directions from God that are meant to bring rest to restless hearts, to bring calm amid calamity. What are these famished, reeling Israelites to do in this season of crisis? What are we to do? How is the church to respond in this season of pandemic? And I take these directly from the text. Number one, awake, from chapter one, verse five, awake. We are to awake. Number two, we are to lament. From verse 8. Number 3, we are to alarm or to sound an alarm. Chapter 2, verse 1. And finally, number 4, we are to repent. Chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Awake, lament, alarm, repent. Awake, lament, alarm, repent. These are really four excellent responses to any crisis that is thrust upon the people of God. I want you to think of this current season, this pandemic, more as opportunity than as misfortune. It's, easily, it's easy to kind of go straight to misfortune, but I want you to think of it as an opportunity given by God. So number one, let's look at what it means to awake. God says to the prophet Joel in verse five. He says, awake, you drunkards and weep. And wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. Every crisis that God allows is an opportunity to awaken us from our spiritual slumber. I believe the reason that they are called out as drunkards is because they had perhaps become so overindulgent in their enjoyment of the fat of the land and their abundance of wine. They had become more concerned with filling their own bellies than devoting their hearts and minds to God. And I sometimes fear that this is one of our greatest problems, particularly in America, one of our greatest distractions, is that we have so much. We have so much that it's easy to forget how much we need God. But sometimes... His grace to remind us of how much we need him comes in the form of wake up calls like these. A locust invasion, a pandemic, another natural disaster. But for the people of God, for those who are called according to his good purposes, these are always meant to be for the purpose of our spiritual renewal wake-up calls for the purpose of our spiritual renewal. A time like this is a time to reflect on the priorities of our life. These times have a way of burning up all the chaff in our lives such that what really matters most to us is revealed. I know that for me personally, when the coronavirus began, it was something kind of distant in the headlines over there in another part of the world something in a faraway country, something that I kind of was just ignoring and hoping would go away. I, would, I was saying things like, oh, it's not nearly as bad as the flu, and I could just go on with my normal routine and forget about it. But now I think you would agree that it touches pretty much every aspect of our day-to-day lives. We can't just sleep through this any longer or hide until it goes away. So, let's make the most of it. Let's let this season of interruption to our lives serve to awaken our souls from spiritual slumber. Let's let it serve as an opportunity to allow God to reveal what's in our hearts and to purge from us that which keeps us from enjoying Him. Look at verse 14. What are we told to do? Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. This is an opportunity to cry out to the Lord and to seek him for refuge and to bring others along and call others to do the same. Cry out to the Lord right now where you are which brings us to the next thing that he calls us to do, the next action, and that is to lament. So he wakes us up, he gives us the wake-up call, and then he says, lament. And we read about this in verse eight. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. In other words, lament and weep as one who has just lost the dearest thing that you have held, who has just lost a spouse. Every crisis that befalls God's people is an opportunity to lament over the perfection that was lost in the fall, to mourn over the effects of sin on God's beautiful and perfect creation. I believe that lament is the means that God has ordained for processing, for helping us process the reality that we live between two worlds. As earth dwellers, we we get to enjoy God's beautiful creation, but we also have to experience it under the weight of the curse of sin, and we lament. I think it's very unhelpful, yet very popular today, that when someone dies, there, there seems to have been this shift in the last 20 to 30 years. When someone dies, rather than to grieve and to lament and let the service be a time of sadness and lamentation, to instead try to, to, to suppress that and speak of it as a celebration of life. To, to sort of try to suppress any talk of death and mourning. We don't want to be sad, we don't want to be happy about this person's life. But I want to tell you that this is really unhealthy. For us to fail to take time to remember the sting of sin and the pain of death. That is a very unhealthy and unbiblical thing to do. And the scriptures were called over and over again to lament. To weep over the carnage caused by sin. As even the creation itself is still groaning. Eagerly longing to be set free from the curse. And so there is a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. The book of Lamentations is given to us as a pattern a pattern for this very process. And we're instructed in Lamentations chapter 3 to do things like this. It says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not be cast off. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. The great pastor and scholar of the Great Awakening in the 1700s in America, Jonathan Edwards, once made a list of resolutions to help him to live a steadfast life striving after God. Seventy resolutions that he wrote down over a period of time. Four of them that he made dealt with his response to suffering and affliction. I just want to read a couple of those. He said in resolution number nine, resolve to think much on all occasions of my own dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. He resolved to meditate often on death. How about number 57? Resolved when I fear misfortunes and adversities to examine whether I have done my duty and resolve to do it. And let it be just as providence orders it. I will, as far as I can, be concerned about nothing but my duty and my sin. Maybe this current pandemic has not quite hit that close to home yet, where you feel death all around you. But still, let's not miss God's gracious opportunity to remember, and let's get ahead of the curve If it's going to get worse, let's get ahead of this. Let's not miss out on God's gracious opportunity to remember that this world is not your eternal home. This world is not your eternal home. That one day we will live in a new earth and new heavens where the light of Jesus will continuously shine into every last crevice. And where there will be no darkness at all. No more pain, no more suffering, just the fullness of him who fills all. I believe that the glory of Christ will shine brightest when you are most aware of the darkness from which he has rescued you. So take time to lament. Take time to meditate on the reality of sin and its effects upon us. But let it drive you to a more heavenly vision for this life. Let's lament in order that we might be driven to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 90:12, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Lamentation is a reminder that our days here are numbered. And so whether it's Corona or cancer or a car accident, we will soon be taken from this temporary home. So let's be asking ourselves this question continuously as we lament. What awaits us in the eternity beyond this? What awaits you in the eternity beyond this? Set your eyes there. and Let it drive you to God. I want to stop there today after those, those, those particulars, two particular calls to action, to awake and to lament. I want to stop there today and, and next week talk more about the sounding, the alarm, and the repentance. But before I do, I do want to take a peek ahead to chapter 2, verse 12, which I truly again believe is the central message of this whole book. We've read it twice this morning. And I'll read it again. How should we as individuals and as a church respond today? Verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. With fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your hearts and not your garments Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. I've said that this season is a gift from God. It's a wake up call for us to return to him with all our hearts, to rend our hearts and not merely our garments. To tear one's clothes was one of the most extraordinarily deep expressions of grief that this people had. But God was interested in something far deeper than the mere external expression of grief. He is interested in our hearts. He is interested in the brokenness of our hearts over our own sins such that he is able to be our divine surgeon and repair them as he intends. The psalmist says that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. Friends, let's let today be a wake-up call for all of us to return to God with all our hearts. Don't let your hearts follow the curve of the crisis. Instead, let them be guided by the steady and unchanging will and word of God. So when you wake up each morning, as you endure this crisis and beyond, I want you to seek him. On your way to work, and I'm preaching to myself here, I hope you'll understand, on your way to work for those who still have commutes, saturate yourself with his word, whether through music or sermon or audio Bible, or simply by memorizing scripture and repeating it back to yourself over and over again. If you need help with this, Call me and I will find you resources. When you engage in a conversation at work or at home or at the store, as long as you're six feet away, bring God into the conversation. Bring God into the conversation. Turn your hearts collectively to him. Bury your head in the psalm. Some of you have more downtime than you've had uh, recently than you've ever had recently. Bury your head in the psalms. What a great place to go. And memorize parts of them so that you are prepared to offer them back to others as an encouraging word. And to offer them back to God. Whenever you find yourself struggling. You could start with Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his, who meditates on the law, day and night. His delight is on the Lord. He meditates on the law, day and night. Or go to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Think about what's going on here in Joel: Barren wasteland. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Or Psalm 34, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Psalm 46, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The whole earth melts. Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 90, which I read earlier, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart Of wisdom. Psalm 51 Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Psalm 127 Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain to rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge. It's too, it's too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. Bury your head in the Psalms. Soak in them such that what comes out of you is God's word to be a blessing to others. Return your hearts to God. Call out to God on behalf of your family, your friends, your church, in your phone calls and in your face-to-face meetings. Offer right there on the spot to pray for one another. Turn your hearts to God. Ask God to preserve them and to draw their hearts to him. When you gather at the dinner table. Talk to your children and explain to them what's going on, just like it says here in Joel. Tell this to your children and your children to their children and their children to another generation. Talk about what's going on so that you can tell them what God is doing and how God is using it. Talk about this sermon. Tell them about how we know that we can trust him because he is ever faithful. Remind them of his promises to never leave them nor forsake them. What a valuable opportunity to teach our kids the faithfulness of God. Most importantly, tell them where they can find everlasting life. Tell others where they can find everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. He gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him. Would not perish, but have everlasting life. Remind them that this, what we're going through right now, or any future disaster, this is not the end all and be all. That we have a rescuer from sickness, we have a rescuer from sin, we have a rescuer from death. One who has experienced the greatest affliction, the most intense suffering. One who was forsaken by God on the cross, but one who has overcome. Tell them about the resurrection, the glorious resurrection of Christ. Tell them about the ascension. Tell them that our Redeemer lives and is ever pleading for us right here and right now as he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. Brothers and sisters, if I could leave you with one thing, I want you to know this is certainly not a time to panic. It's also not a time to become cynical or apathetic. This is a time to wake up. This is a time to wake up and to pursue God with all your heart. Do not miss this opportunity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for just your grace to, to, to give us this word that anchors our soul, that stabilizes a restless heart, that keeps us fixed on what matters most. It's so easy to, to be tossed to and fro by every news report, by every wave and wind, every message that We should do this or we should do that. But God, help us to cling to your unchanging promises and help us to to tell others about these, to, to use these as encouragement for others. Father, I pray that this wake up call that you've graciously given us would not go unused, not go unnoticed, would not fall on deaf ears. Father, we need your spirit to help us. Because each day we are going to be far more tempted to just follow the curve of the crisis and pray that you would remind us what truly matters, that we would seek refuge in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Let's sing, "O church arise together. O church arise."
1: that the Son of God. a servant good and faithful as saints of old still line the way retelling triumphs of his grace we hear their calls and hunger for the day when with christ we stand in glory Telling triumphs of his grace, we hear their calls and hunger for the day, when with Christ we stand in glory.
0: The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. The Lord is my strength and my shield, and Him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to Him. Be at peace.